Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacey Jones, the founder of influencer marketing and branded content agency, Hollywood Branded. This podcast provides brand marketers a learning platform for top experts to share their insights and knowledge on topics which make a direct impact on your business today. While it is impossible to be well-versed on every topic and strategy that can improve bottom line results, my goal is to help you avoid making costly mistakes of time, energy, or money, whether you are doing a DIY approach or hiring an expert to help. Let's begin today's discussion. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Here's your host, Stacy Jones. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacy Jones. I'm so happy to be here with you all today, and I want to give a very warm welcome to Mimi Slavin, the Head of Marketing and Business Development at Green Fence Consumer, where she helps bring the value of the blockchain to top entertainment IP holders in order to create strong direct consumer relationships while still respecting today's growing need for consumer privacy and control. I've known and worked with Mimi for the last 20-odd years, as she's been the head of Global Marketing Partnerships at DreamWorks, SVP Marketing at CDS Films, and SVP of Warner Brothers Pictures Promotions, and she's just fantastic. So you will definitely want to stay tuned. Today, we're going to talk about marketing promotions as a blockchain and how this revolutionary new technology is enabling new ways to provide value to consumers, monetize IPs, and provide a safe and trusted way to conduct a two-way value exchange. We'll learn what's worked for Mimi's experience, what maybe could be avoided, and where others are missing the mark. Mimi, welcome. <laughs> Hi, great to be here. So happy to have you here today. I would love, love, love for you to give everyone a bit of a background of what got you to where you are today and a little bit of your history. Uh, I ask myself that uh, often. Um, so you, you sort of read my bio, so uh, you know a little bit about kind of where I've been, but uh, where, how did I get here? So, um, you know, I spent a, a large a large part of my career in the studio system. I started um, in more traditional marketing, did this sort of MBA thing, worked for Nestle for five years, and then went to the dark side, as we like to call it. Uh, started uh, on the uh, home entertainment side, because that was kind of the closest to consumer packaged goods, and then went over to theatrical and kind of built my career that way. And uh, in 2016, when Comcast bought DreamWorks, uh, and my role was already filled by somebody else and I was unable to knock them off the throne. Uh, you know, it was time to kind of reevaluate what, uh, what was I going to do? And there was some personal stuff going on that kind of had me thinking about, okay, what, what, what does, what does the next phase of my career and my life look like? And, um, tech has been a very big, you know, area and we, you know, there so much discussion and I remember kind of finding myself in some of the marketing meetings and listening to our digital people talk about things and use words and you know sometimes I suspected they were making them up just to make sure that we all felt you know a little bit inferior and <laughs> they had some job security and other times I was you know very intrigued by what they were talking about and I thought you know it would probably be a really good idea for me after so many years in the studio system to look at expanding and broadening my experience a little bit. And I happened to have a very close friend, a guy named Jonas Hudson, who is the co-founder at Green Fence. Um, and I used to babysit him, not anytime recently, but when we were kids, when we were, when we were kids, I was five years older than he. And at the time, that was a big difference. It's not now. Uh, and I used to babysit him and his brother. And then I hired him at Warner Brothers many years later. And we stayed in touch all those years. And then I knew he was doing blockchain. And I called him up and I said, you got to explain this to me. And it took him about four hours to get me to really understand it. 
And then once I did, it was like a light bulb went off. I was like, oh, I totally get that. I completely see where this fits in with entertainment. I have an idea. Let me make a couple phone calls. And really, honestly, within three weeks, we put together our first deal, which was with Adam Tickets and Deadpool 2. And we created digital collectibles uh, that uh, Adam Tickets gave to fans who had seen the movie. It was kind of a surprise and delight campaign. And they were very pleased with the results. They got a better open rate than they had seen on a lot of their free movie ticket offers. So they were excited about it. We were really excited. And it was kind of like off to the races from then. And so uh, I sort of became the non-technical person working with Green Fence to help bring the blockchain to the entertainment community. So that's kind of how I ended up here. That's how I ended up at Green Fence. And now you're in a super somewhat technical role. Well, so I'm at a very super, in a super technical industry. Mm-hmm. My role, um, as we like to call it, is sort of the block fence for dummies representative. <laughs> so I, um, I, uh, I actually understand a lot more of the technical part of it than I'm able to really explain to people in a way that they'd understand. But what my role has evolved into is that I, I sort of give people the, the sort of general overview, what they really need to understand in order to be able to sort of grasp the concept and how it can work for them. And I really try to get people to focus on not so much worrying about the actual technical, how does it actually work, and really look at what does it actually deliver. And the way I liken it is, if you remember back in the day, and this is going to date me a little bit, just a little bit, but if you remember when AOL made a big push to get everyone on email, right? Everybody was getting those disks and it was very exciting. You would put in the disk, you would download the software and do some magic on your computer. And then you would hear that, those magic words, you've got mail. And it was usually an introduction from whoever and you'd set up your email account and you would start emailing everyone. Hey, I have email. Do you have email? You know, it was just very exciting. And nobody stopped and said, well, how does this get into my computer? And is there a little person in there doing something that I need to know about? And what's this going to mean? And I mean, people were just so excited to have email. And um, so I sort of liken it to that. People, you know, what the blockchain enables, it's, it's really basically a decentralized ledger. So it allows for us to take assets like a JPEG that would normally be able to be very easily copied and have no intrinsic value. And by putting a decentralized ledger behind it with individual blocks so that there's a unique code, you you are able to mint so you can take the same creative, mint it 500 times, and even if it looks exactly the same, you have 500 unique assets. And that's really what the blockchain enables. And yes, there's a lot that goes into it in terms of what does minting mean and how is that done? But the reality is if you're doing this for marketing purposes or for collecting purposes or promotional purposes, you don't really need to understand all of the mechanics that go behind it. When when people are building websites, they don't need to understand every single technical aspect of it. They needed to understand just enough mm-hmm. so that they could so that it could that they could work collaboratively with whoever was building the website and give them the assets they needed in the correct format. So that's kind of the way I look at it. Okay. So 
you said, you know, it's basically, it's, it's encoded blocks that are being assigned to each uh, item that is going to live in this digital universe. Mm -hmm. Where in real life could we see an application? Like, where is it that you and I talked offline earlier about coupons. We talked about different things along the lines of something that might need to have a unique identifying code of some sort. Is that where it would be living? Well, so so for, us, for us, it's collectibles and coupons and rebates. So the coupons and rebates are it's sort of the not the sexy part. Right now, most coupons and rebates are not on the blockchain. So they're subject to fraud. If you think about it, if I'm Nestle and I produce, uh, I, I want to produce a thousand coupons mm -hmm. digitally. I have to stop production at a thousand coupons because that's all I'm budgeted for. Yeah. And, and, and maybe I'm going to be a little bit more, uh, take a little bit more risk and I'll produce 2000 with the assumption that I'm not going to get, you know, hundred percent redemption with the blockchain. If they're individually minted, um, once it redeems, it's, it's, it's basically dead. It's it, it, and you can track it, you know, exactly who, you know, when I say, you know, exactly who used, has used it, you know, a hash of who has used it. You don't have any personal identifiable information. You're not invading anyone's privacy, but you're able to control the amount of cash basically that you're putting at risk mm -hmm. and so instead of putting the coupon out there and hoping for a 98 percent failure rate so that you get the redemption that you can afford you can put it out there and really work toward a hundred percent success because you're only putting out there what you can afford to redeem would this, about fraud. would this be similar to so we were doing a partnership um at hollywood branded with a talk show and we had a digital microsite running where the client had a coupon and everyone was super excited because the paper goods product was now not just sold at walmart it's now going to be sold everywhere but someone picked up that coupon code and they posted it online and literally before the contest even started the sweepstakes it, they ran the code down. So it was like you could basically get 18 rolls of toilet paper. It wasn't that, but something like for $2. It was amazing. It was a fantastic deal. Is something like that blockchain, would that be able to keep that type of thing from happening? Oh, yeah. That wouldn't have happened if it had been on the blockchain. Okay. So that's something where marketers and advertisers really could benefit. Because literally, I mean, we defunded the, the people who with the coupon code that put it out there on all of these different sites, they literally put it on your yeah. yeah. And, and what yeah. happens is it, it increases the liability to the company because you've got all these coupons out there. That's why the blockchain is so valuable. Um, you would not have had that happen with the blockchain for one thing. They can't reproduce them. Okay. And there's a cost for them to reproduce them. That's the other thing, you know, right now the, it's free to just make a bunch of copies of a JPEG of something. Mm -hmm. um, when you mint, a coupon on the blockchain, it doesn't cost a lot, but it costs something. And, and actually it's really interesting. There was the, and I don't remember the guy's name, but the guy who was one of the early inventors of the internet, not Al Gore, but the real guys um, who said that he, you know, he wished he had done it differently. And one of the things that he wished he had done was attached some type of, of just small transaction fee to emails because it would have basically eliminated spam. Because think about it, if it, if it costs you, even if it costs you 0.02 cents 
to spam people. If you're spanking, you know, the whole reason spam works is because they're doing it in these massive quantities, right? Well, that adds up real quick. So same kind of thing. The, the blockchain is, is fantastic for managing budgets, for eliminating fraud, and you can track and trace back to any bad actors that are trying to do something like what happened right. in your situation. Right. And I mean, that was just a bummer for the client because they were all excited about launching it. And No, and you wanted to get into the hands of the people who are really going to become yeah. customers. Right. And um, so that, that's part of the great power of the blockchain. Okay. So blockchain, if you paint us this picture, so we know that it lives in the digital universe. Mm -hmm. Do you interact it with it just like a website? Is that, you know, is that kind of a front page? Um, it? Yeah, it's, it goes into what's called a wallet, for lack of a better term. We refer to it as a wallet. You're, and so similar to if you, you know, if you're, if you um, go on any app for any, uh, you know, say you shop a lot at Target, you have a Target app, you have a, or you have a Kroger app or whatever, that you, it can be housed in something like that, or it can, be created when you accept a digital asset. Like if, if someone sent you, an, so, so if I sent you a digital asset, hey, Stacy, Mimi just sent you a Deadpool card. And you said, great, you know, I'm gonna take that. When you, when you accept it, it actually creates a wallet for you that, you know, it, that lives in the cloud, really doesn't take up any space on your phone. And it just sort of houses that asset for you and, and it can't be hacked because it's got, too many, you'd have to hack about half the world's computers at the same exact same time in order to break the blockchain. So um, it's, it's super simple. And our solution, Green, Green Fence's solution in particular, is extremely consumer friendly. So, um, and, and which is maybe a good time to, to, to mention uh, mm -hmm. that um, the first 11 people that when they listen to this podcast, um, if they email me at Greenfence, and my Greenfence email is Mimi, M-I-M-I, dot Slavin, S is in Sam, L-A-V-I-N, at greenfence.com, I will send them, I'm going to send out 10 trailers from hell, uh, blockchain collectibles, and one Deadpool card. And right now, the, the trailers from hell uh, collectibles have been selling for about $15 or $20 a piece. And we have, we have right now, there's an auction on a Deadpool card. I think it's up to $2,600. Um, and a bunch of the cards have sold for three and $400. So there's a definite market out there. And the, right now there's very limited numbers of IP that, that's actually out there. That's awesome. That is very kind of you. So listeners, make sure that you actually reach into your phone right now and send her an email for this. Um, and let me ask you, so, okay, it is literally, and I'm not a collectible person. I'm not someone who goes out and- I'm not either. Yeah, I don't have a comic book collection. I don't have a wall of cat bobbleheads. You know, I don't have all of those types of- I'm comforted to know that. Yeah, right? Isn't that yeah. great? I have other things that I do, I'm sure, but, you know, that's okay. I don't have the, that, that collectible thing, but usually when you think of collectibles, right. when you think of something tangible that you can touch, that you can right. hold, that you can feel, this is opening up a whole other world where these are digital collectibles, right? Sure. Uh, well, there's a couple things. I, one, um, it's much easier to authenticate a digital collectible than a, a physical collectible, believe it or not. 
because, uh, you know, for the physical collectibles, you kind of need someone who's truly an expert and you have to actually be able to trust that expert after you were able to find that expert. So right, like all, all of my husband's, he is a collectible and I've enforced this, he has a wall of sports stuff. And on the back of the sports stuff, there's codes and there's registered by here, registered by there. And who knows if it's really registered because when I buy it, I don't really know. Right. Yeah. So, so there's that. And we're also talking about a whole new generation of people who yeah. live and die on their phones, everything they do on their phones. I mean, even if you think about the way the music business was revolutionized with iPod, it wasn't even just, hey, I want to be able to walk around with my music, right? It was, I want to be able to walk around with my music, and I want to be able to show you how cool, my, how cool I am by showing you what my playlist is, mm -hmm. right? So kids aren't like, especially now, like my kid, he's, he just graduated eighth grade and I'm not kidding. This is the first year and I'm not, and when I say in the last three months, it's the first time he's had kids over to the house because they get on their video games and they get on their headsets and they think that they're having like a play date or whatever they call it because they're playing video games together. They're in completely different cities, completely different houses. So they're not used to like, hey, come over. I'm going to show you my wall of whatever. Right. For them, it's all about, oh, yeah, check out what I've got on my phone. I've got this game. I've got this collection. I've got. So, you know, I think that we have a world of, uh, that's very, very mobile centric. Mm -hmm. So I think it's sort of an inflection point in terms of people being much more interested in whatever they can port with them. Right. And, you know, the reality is there is a world um, where the physical collectibles are going to be married up to, there's going to come a point where if you don't have the actual sort of digital collection, collectible uh, version that goes with your physical, whatever it is, you're going to have a very hard time verifying. So what you're going to start seeing, I think, in the not terribly distant future is when you get the bobblehead, it's going to come with, here's the digital code for the digital collectible that marries up to this that says you are the owner of the actual item. And that's um, going to be in blockchain and because it's not something that you can fake. Right. So um, I think you're going to see that. I think the other thing is, you know, MLB, interestingly enough, the, the Major League Baseball did a, a test, and I think they've done a second one, and the, the execution was a little clunky. Our, our, I think Green Fence has solved a lot of the clunkiness of the execution, but, you know, instead of doing an actual digital, instead of doing an actual bobblehead, they actually did a digital bobblehead. And the, the problem was is that you gave out, they did it, across, I don't remember how many cities, but I know that the Dodgers was one of them. The problem was, is that when you hand out, they handed out these like sort of credit card like things and told people how to do it. But when you have everyone all at once trying to download everything at once, it just, it wasn't a great experience, but, but the idea is there. And when you think about it, if, you know, and if, if major league B baseball, which is sort of all American is already looking at this, you know, we're, we're not talking about a huge leap here. And then imagine also um, take, for instance, McDonald's, right? They have their toys and, and, you know, they're the number one producer of toys in the world, right? And I've done a ton of deals with them and, and we would start 18 months out and then three, six, 
four months before we're about to launch, they'd say, well, what do you have for us for our app? Because they really want to build up their app. They want that app to be important to the kids. And um, we would say, oh, well, we could give you this coloring page or this whatever. And they'd say, well, but that could be duplicated really easily. And it's like, well, I didn't invent the internet. Like, I don't know what you want me to say. Like, I don't know what to tell you. But the blockchain could really change that for them. So if every toy, and it's not expensive, if every toy came with its own digital collectible that went and lived in the McDonald's app, and lived in the McDonald's app as long as, they, as the kid wanted it there, um, and they could trade it with other kids in the that we're using the same app um that app would become much more valuable to those kids right if they're if their whole digital collectible all that their whole digital collection so it could be my little pony it could be batman it could whatever that it could be kung fu panda whatever they're you know it would whatever they're collecting and it can have their own little you know, collectible book around it. They don't have to mix equities if the studios don't want to do that. Although, but you know, everything's changing. Um, that could become, that could make that app so valuable to that kid, even as the kid gets older, right. And isn't doing happy meals necessarily. They might say, yeah, that's great. But I am not letting go of my McDonald's app because I've got 200 collectibles in there and I'm not done with those. Right. I'm not playing with the toy anymore, but I'm still collecting. No worries. So, okay. So really what you're saying is the world is kind of moving towards the direction of the digital collection. And it's something that you can keep, which is great for our landfills. Look at that. Less stuff. Less stuff. For, for corporations and for MLB or NHL or any of these entities that are out there, they're not having to produce something, package something, ship something, manage something, hand it out. And, and it's really actually streamlining the whole process while giving something still of value to the consumer. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, the truth of the matter is what's great about these collectibles is as they get more sophisticated, so say you have a Kershaw bobblehead that's in your digital collectibles. Um, his stats get updated or his jersey gets retired you can do you can actually you know you don't know the person but you know the wallet and you can send that person something new or interesting you can update that collectible I mean there's a lot of really cool things that you can do there's a lot of stuff that we haven't even figured out yet I mean that we, we that we that we're just even talking about that we know is possible but we have not yet executed and are y'all seeing that you know your core consumer is that you know gen z gen y versus your gen x baby boomer etc or is it really is it scaling for I, I don't think we know yet stace I, I i think the reality is it's still so new i mean i think the, that that right now what you're going to see is a lot of fanboys and early adopters uh, because it's still so new. Um, and other than green pants, I have not seen a really streamlined execution. I mean, even with uh, where we are right now, you still have to, if you want to, so we have a private public blockchain, which makes it so that 
you can trade and you can and you can interact without having to have any kind of cryptocurrency or any kind of knowledge of that. If you want to go on the public blockchain and start selling, then you have to download a third party app because it's still ultimately backed by crypto. Now we are working on a solution to, to make that go away. And we're probably three months away from that. Um, but, and we will be the first ones to do that. Um, but we are really the only ones with the, with a, a truly consumer friendly application. But as it ha as it gets more and more simplified, you'll see more and more people get into it. And here's the thing. I mean, uh, I was, you know, I had a ton of CDs, right? And we all did. Right. We all did. And yes, I still do. <laughs> I have in the corner and, uh, and then Apple came along and it was like, do I buy this over? Do I? And so then you download all your CDs. So you have them digitally. And, um, you know, was I the initial target for that music application? No, I wasn't. So I think that it's that kind of thing. I think you have to, we have to have the, the early adopters. It's going to be the younger generation. It's going to be the generation of people who are not so interested in the physical things. They're more interested in what they can show off on their phone. And part of it's going to be how interesting can we make these collectibles? So if we make a collectible that's reflective of a toy, does it dance? Does it throw a spear? Does it, you know, depending on what the character is, like what does it do or does it just stand there? So that's, it's all going to factor into it. I feel like we're talking about Pokemon uh, cards right now. You know what's so funny is I have not, I, I do not, I know very, it's funny because I worked on the Pokemon movie years ago when I was at Warner Brothers. I know nothing about Pokemon, really, truly nothing. And I know, I know there's this Pokemon Go thing. I don't know anything about it, honestly. And my kid is not into it. So I can't even ask him. Um, so we're actually not talking about Pokemon. I was actually thinking about if we did something, if McDonald's did something with the crudes, like the characters would need to do something interesting in the collectibles as opposed to maybe just sitting there or being characters. But it also depends on the age. It depends on the age of the, of the kid. Um, right now, I think it's going to be more kids and fanboys. As soon as... Um, and like fangirls. Well, when I say fanboys, I mean both. I'm not. I'm being gender neutral on that. Um, the Deadpool collectibles have been surprisingly popular, and honestly, if you had asked me, you know, are people going to pick? And what they did was they gave us four pieces of art that were never released. That they were posters that they had considered, and they were kind of homage posters. One of them was like to Animal House. One of them was there were a bunch of different things, mm -hmm. and I would have said this is who needs this? Nobody needs this in their life, right? This is a rated R movie and people loved them. They were super excited to get it. We had people saying, how do I get the other three? Cause it was random selection, how people got them. So you just don't know. It, it, it's so new. It's, it's hard to predict. Now the coupons, I think, I think where we're going to see the first adoption is going to be shopper marketing. We're already seeing that. I mean, we're already doing that. Kroger's already one of our clients on that, and we work with a lot of the big name companies. Um, 
because it's so valuable and, and, it, and it allows for so much control of those shopper marketing budgets. And those budgets are so tiny in terms of, and they need to be managed so carefully. Um, so I think that that's going to be where you see the, the early adoption of, of that. So that's going more towards a female who could be a millennial or a Gen Xer, really. I mean, that's your shopper or couponer or baby boomer. But we've or, also made, we've literally made that so you don't have to understand that it's blockchain. Right. You just get an app and you have the coupon you in it. You get an app. You just, it's, it's like, do you want to save $5 on Pampers? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it's, and it's just put into your wallet. You don't even really know, you know, mm -hmm. but you know that it's, put into your wallet to go to Kroger. Interesting. And so how do you get a wallet? Like how does a consumer sign up for this? If it's not an app, like how do they even know? Or is it, is it branded? It's a progressive web app. And what happens is to so say, um, it, when you, when you, if you were, say you were to purchase a collectible, when you purchase a collectible, it will build a wallet. It will create a wallet for you. Based on your email address. Right. Yeah. And we don't, we try not to take um, much personal information because mm -hmm. we don't really, we don't want to collect any data. We don't want to hold any data. But what I could do is I could send you a collectible. Hey, mm -hmm. Stacy, your friend Mimi has just sent you a collectible. You go, great. You click on the link and it says, oh, do you want, do you want this collectible? Yeah, I do. Okay, and then it'll ask you for either your phone number or an email, and it'll ask you for a password. And this is literally only to protect you in case you forget. Yep. And you do that, and it's great. And then you, all of a sudden, it pops up. You see the collectible, and you've got a wallet. Yep. So, so it's, it's, it's you know, some sort of data that you're giving, your phone number, your email, something that it's tracking, but it's not holding on to lots of things, your age, your this, your that, and everything else. Right, and, and, and the opportunity for marketers, which is interesting, because there is a data play to be had, which is it becomes a two-way value exchange. You have the choice, you can say to your consumer, so if I am Pampers and I do a coupon, and I know, so, and you, you accept the coupon, um, I don't know who you are, you could, you could be a, 50 year old man who just happens to like campers. I don't know, but my assumption <laughs> you can't take a pretty picture there. Thank you. Uh, but my assumption is that you're a young mother with a, or a mother with a young child. Yeah. And I might want more information from you. So I might reach out to you and say, Hey, thank you for being a Pampers customer. Here's another coupon for whatever, a dollar or whatever it is. Would you be interested in um, sharing more information with, about yourself in exchange for X? And you'd be very specific about what X is. It would be $10 worth of groceries. It could be another, it could be a free thing of Pampers. It could be whatever. But it, then it becomes up to the, and, and what's interesting about this is, Unlike where we are right now, where the retailer owns the date, owns the customer. And if I want to talk to that customer again, I have to go buy my customer from the retailer. Yeah. If I have, if my customer has accepted a coupon from me, I have the opportunity to speak to that customer 
but it's permission-based. And if I reach out to you and just say, hey, it's a beautiful day to change diapers, you're going to be like, X, you're out. I don't want to talk to you. I, I'm opting out, right? So it, there, you have to build this relationship with the customer, and it does become about exchange of value. It's like, don't send me messages. Don't, it's not like on Facebook where you can, you know, right, just have a nice day to stay in touch. No, you want to talk to me. What am I getting in exchange? And if you want information from me, how are you paying me? Exactly. It, so right now, so we're so used to as a society, and what's interesting is so many of the young people are just saying, screw it, I'm not doing that anymore. We are so used to, we're going to go on Facebook and in exchange for you know being able to throw up all our photos and watch as many cat videos as we want, we will tell them, what, we will tell them the most personal details, even when we don't realize that we're doing it. And, and even when we do realize it, we're like, ah, so what? So they know when my birthday is, they know, you know, whatever. And, you know, when I got engaged, all of a sudden I started getting all these, you know, wedding planners and photographers. And all of a sudden I was like, that's weird. All I did was post a picture of my engagement, right? So clearly they're paying attention. Um, but I wasn't getting paid for that. What my payment was, was that I got to use Facebook to let everybody know that I got engaged, yeah. right? So this new system, this new way of communicating is you want something from me, you can pay me directly. So it's kind of a win-win. And it also means for the brands, I'm going to be talking to people who want to talk to me and who are open to hearing from me and sharing with me so I can get better as a brand. And they want my reward. So I'm not just vomiting up all this stuff to people who don't want it. So the scale of this, I mean, this can go so wide. I know y'all are concentrating on couponing, but this could go into, I'm assuming, uh, and collectibles is y'all's special. Collectibles state. is really the big one for me. I'm yeah. not on the couponing side, but yeah. I, I believe strongly that that's a yeah. big way. Which makes sense since you're in the entertainment industry and working with movies and TV shows and all things yeah, entertainment. I love a good coupon, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, that we all do. But I'm assuming that this can also go into gift cards eventually. This could go into oh, yeah. I mean, um, movie tickets. This can go way farther than just something that you're collecting or trading in. Anywhere where there is the potential for fraud, this has humongous implications. Any industry that has been subjected to fraud. I mean, right now the banks be, are, are all investigating this. The only reason you haven't seen everything, and, and actually the New York Stock Exchange is on a blockchain. The, the challenge with the banks is that the, 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 the speed of the transactions that they need to do, the blockchain is not there yet. Mm -hmm. And so eventually any transaction that's subject to any kind of fraud will be on the blockchain. And that's fantastic because I'm assuming that it would be more trackable. So like for our agency, and I've shared this before, we got hit by a uh, spoof email back in 2016 and they cleared out our bank account. My bookkeeper fell for it. She sent all of our money overseas. It went to China. It went over to Nigeria. It was gone, just like gone in a heartbeat, years and years of savings. But if this was actually the blockchain, if it was banks where they could not just have blind accounts being set up as fraudulent all over, you would be able to track that item every step of the way. 
You would. It would be hard to, um, it still might be hard to undo if someone willingly agreed to do it. Right. But um, you would have the ability to check provenance. So if they said, oh, I'm actually so-and-so, you would actually be able to, in a true blockchain, you would actually be able to trace it all the way back to its origin. So if it, if the origin of it was like, okay, this is coming out of Russia. And I think I'm sending it over to New York. Right. This isn't legit. Right. Yeah. Okay, so there are safety protocols. Those email scams are, are, are I think, are still going to be a problem. Um, the, the human error is always going to is something that you yep. cannot correct with machines for the most part. But the interesting part about that is what they would have been able to do is freeze it. Yeah. And whoever had done it, if they didn't want to get caught, would not have been able to touch the money. Now, you may not have been able to get the money back, back but it would not have gone to running guns and drugs and all sorts of things exactly. in Nigeria. The reality is, whoever did it, if they didn't think you were savvy enough to put a freeze on it, mm-hmm. the minute they went to move on it, they would have been, they, the FBI would have been all over them. Right. Or even if you take a step further, ultimately the bank could potentially have been able to, if, if this is the direction they're going and the bank does take the step forward of having more corporate responsibility, they would be able to have the insights to see that, oh, you're authorizing a transaction that you think is going to Hong Kong, let's just say, and it's actually going to Nigeria, as you mentioned a minute ago, and that would red flag it potentially. Right. Yeah. I don't know as much about the banking side of it, but I, I, I do know that having spoken to some of my friends that are in banking, that, it, that they're working on it now. Yeah, it's, it's needed. Okay, back to collectibles and couponing. <laughs> All the fun, sexy stuff. Fun stuff. Okay, so really, any company that's out there, is it hard to set this up? If, if you had a company that's like, I want to do couponing like this, I'm not a Kroger, I'm not that big, is it difficult to set it up? Is it expensive to set it up? Is it super easy? What no, do they have- in fact, we're working on a self-service platform, so not too distant future. You're going to actually be able to log into our portal and it'll have, it'll have all the things you need to create your own coupon and you'll be able to t- say where you want it distributed and it'll, you'll be able to send it how many you want to mint. It'll become very, very easy. Right now it's white glove. We have to do it for you, but it is extremely inexpensive. Um, certainly compared to creating an FSI, it's very inexpensive. Yeah. And um, like when you talk about what happened when you were trying to do that promotion, it's worth it. Right. Really it has nice. to be. Okay. And so this is something that literally you'd be at your desk, you'd gotten your design elements from your graphic designer, you'd upload the imagery into the self-service platform, you would assign the dollar value to it, and you'd say, I want a thousand of these coupons to be generated, and voila. A thousand would be generated with unique codes so that they could not be frauded. Correct. And the amount of time it would take would depend on how you were doing it. But because we do a public, a private public blockchain, it would be done very quickly. Okay. Uh, and right now, uh, 
you have to select a, it has to, you have to select a retailer because they have to be able to read the specific, because you're not doing a general UPC code, right? Everyone is an individual, Yeah. but very, very shortly, um, that's going to change. Interesting. And, uh, yes, because we have a relationship with basically every POS system in the country and that is being put into place as we speak. Great. So then you would be able to redeem that bond. So if it was for the paper goods and they happen to be sold at 20 different retailers, you could go potentially and go and not be retailer specific. Correct. Right now, the only one that would be a problem, I believe, no matter once, even when we get this in place would be Target. And my guess is if every other place can take it, Target's going to figure out a way to make it work. Right. That's very cool. So what else do our listeners need to know for just general? In general, in what, you know, for me, the biggest thing is um, what I found is when I get into these meetings is people want to dig way, way too deep into the technology. And I would really encourage people to focus on what it enables and not have to not feel like they have to really understand exactly how it all works that, that they need to have a, just a very general understanding of why it's different than what exists. Um, but, but once you start really trying to dig into the technology, it's like, and especially when they bring in the lawyers, the lawyers barely understand how the coupons work unless they redeem coupons themselves because it's not their area of expertise. So I just, I really encourage people not to let that sort of analysis paralysis get in the way of testing something that's really, really a game changer. And, you know, and to not be afraid to try something. I mean, we've already tested it. We've already proven the model. Um, and so, you know, and, and that wasn't obviously the case on day one, but it happened pretty quickly. And the reality is, you know, people are very nervous about da data privacy because there's been so many issues. And the blockchain is literally the most transparent way of doing things that you can possibly do. And the only data that gets collected is the data that the consumer is willing to share. Now, certainly we can, we can tell you that the, where the coupon has gone or where the collectible has gone, but that doesn't tell you anything about who the collectors are unless you choose to engage in a conversation with them. And if you do that, you have to reward them and they are voluntarily providing that information. So I think that there's been a lot of nervousness around, oh my God, you know, privacy. Well, the reality is this is more secure and more private than anything any of these guys are doing right now. And to just, and to, to really ask themselves, what do I actually really need to understand in order to be able to say yes to testing out something that could really be a game changer? And then at the same time, all of this, you know, you had mentioned before, you know, blockchain with seed to shelf. And so really everything that's out there, everything that's being created, everything that is being developed is literally most likely going to be entering in the blockchain to be tractable, right? Yeah, I mean, Jonas, who's our co-founder, he, he feels like that we're not so far off that at some point we're going to be born with a birth certificate and a wallet. And 
and in, in that wallet, it's going to have our blood type and, and some information is going to be totally private and some information is going to be information that we can easily share, but it's going to be one of those things where, you know, people don't have to wear ID bracelets for this thing or that thing because it's going to be part of their wallet. Um, I don't know whether that's true or not, but the reality is that every industry, everyone is looking at how to use the blockchain to create greater transparency. Um, you know, people want to say that their food is GMO. They want to know that it's, you know, GMO and it's not modified and all that. Well, one of the best ways to do that is to track your food through blockchain, right? So, but to do that, you know, you've got to get all your suppliers on the blockchain. Walmart already has mandated because of the last year's listeria issue on lettuce, if you want to sell lettuce to Walmart, you have to be on the blockchain from, from the seed that is planted in the ground to the farmers, to the trucks that are transporting it, to the trains that are transporting absolutely every stage of that lettuce life is on the blockchain. And that's going to become true for just about every product, you know, that you can right. think of. Right. So this is really going to be taking over the world as we know, whether or not we see the behind the scenes or not. Right. And, and I don't think we're going to see this humongous revolution happen in three weeks, but it's, it's happening now. It's happening over time. And certainly from a marketing standpoint, the, the early adopters are going to be the bigger winners. Right. And that extends to brand marketers who are incorporating oh, yeah. it and opening the doors to their consumers. Absolutely. Well, this has been awesome. Is there any other insight you want to share with our listeners before we bid everyone adieu? Uh, I would just like to encourage anyone that's interested or wants more information to reach out because um, I think there's a lot of misinformation out there and I'd be more than happy to have a conversation um, because I think I am a not really truly not a technical person and I have been able to figure it out enough to understand the value that it brings and particularly having spent so much time in partnerships and promotions. Um, I'm really excited about what the opportunity is. So um, I'd love to get other people just as excited. That's awesome. That's cool. Well, Mimi, thank you again. Really appreciate it. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to Marketing Mistakes and how to avoid them. And I look forward to chatting with you on our next podcast.